podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This is the Anfield Wrap in association with Redsbet. 50% of their profits go to fan-related causes. So if you are interested in having a bet, give them a look. If, like me, you have zero clue on how to bet and and what to bet on, don't worry about it. As always, uh, be gamble aware and you can go to gambleaware.org. I've got Chloe Bloxham, Ian Ryan, Josh Sexton and John Gibbons in. And guys, we seem to be, or there seems to be a state of of panic and concern and worry uh, around Liverpool in terms of the summer and, and the transfer window. But I want to just take a step back from that and ask all of you, starting with you, Josh, when you look below Liverpool, so just set aside Manchester City and the Reds, when you look below that, are you feeling any sort of apprehension about any of the other clubs? Not necessarily, no. I think going into the summer, it felt like those teams that were sort of below Liverpool, they needed to make another step in, in terms of Tottenham, but then in terms of the other three clubs, Arsenal, Chelsea, United, it felt like they had they had a lot to do this summer to to be trying to bridge that gap between between Liverpool, and Manchester City. So in terms of the clubs below it, it didn't feel like they had you know they've got more of a task than Liverpool do. I thought I thought that Liverpool maybe had to tweak a few things here and there, which obviously they're 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 sort of yet to do. But it never felt like Liverpool had to do much anyway. So I'm I'm sort of very calm about Liverpool's business at the moment. I'm. Also wary that last summer Liverpool did their business quite late where internationals were concerned. There's obviously the, the Copper America and the under-21s Euros and things going on at the moment, African Cup of Nations as well. So I, I would say I'm fairly calm in terms of what Liverpool are doing. L- not really concerned about what the other teams do, even if even if they were to start doing a lot, because I, th- I think the gap is is so large from last season that it's it's going to take loads, you know, Manchester United have signed Wan-Bissaka for 50 million. Tottenham have been linked with Ndombele as well, and I I don't feel concerned about those kind of signings going to <clears> them kind of clubs because both of them players, while obviously clearly having talent, don't feel like being in the same market that I feel like Liverpool will be shopping in if if they were to make a sign in this summer. So yeah, completely calm at the moment to be honest. Ian, with the exception of Tottenham, who have obviously an elite manager making a very good signing. Uh, they've got stability and you can see how you know they will continue to to be Tottenham their their playing style doesn't change Uh, so apart from them you look at the others and you wonder actually while we're talking about Liverpool not looking below them are are they all looking at clubs like Wolves and Leicester and being in a bit of um, bother because every single one of them seems to have a variety of issues. Chelsea with their transfer ban trying to bring Frank Lampard in. What is their long-term vision? Arsenal uh, falling so far behind the top six in terms of their finances. Swiss Ramble has done a very good uh, thread on that if you're interested in, in seeing why Arsenal are haggling over you know, signing players for £15 million. Um, United, obviously, they need to reconstruct that squad so much. Uh, so you do you think their concern will actually be not how do we try and bridge the gap to um, Ch- City and Liverpool, but all, uh, in, in as much as that, how do we ensure that we don't get overrun by the clubs below us that are mobilising? I think that's totally fair. I think because of the stature of those clubs you've mentioned, they will obviously have an eye on trying to catch Liverpool and City. But that feels hugely ambitious, uh, given where Liverpool and City are right now. 
I think you're right to reference Wolves and Leicester because they look like two teams, given the right investments, um, that they could potentially make a jump into the top six. They've both got money, they've both got hungry managers, uh, they both play a good style of football. Uh, there were signs last year that both of them could make that leap uh, ahead of maybe an Arsenal. Um, Chelsea have obviously got huge problems given that they can't recruit. So Frank Lampard's going to probably seek assurances that he's going to get some time, something Chelsea aren't used to giving managers. Um, but they will almost certainly have to because one hand behind his back, so to speak. Um, he'll have to bring a lot of loan players back and start to try and integrate them into that Chelsea team. Um, and they have got some good players, Chelsea, out on loan. So, you know, it's not the impossible job, but it still feels like one hell of a leap to suddenly catch City or, or Liverpool. I think United's dead interesting because they're going to go and do bits. You know, there'll be a demand from, from supporters that they go and do something after last year. But they've got a guy in charge there who doesn't feel like he should be in charge. It feels like a huge ask of a, of a rookie manager to go and pull a lot of those wrongs right. Um, there's lots of work to be done from a transfer perspective. Yes, Wan-Bissaka's a good player, um, but you don't think for one second that's going to suddenly fix all United's defensive problems. Um, I said something the other day on a show, we did a market show uh, with Rob Gutman, and I feel like culturally United have got so many issues. You know, I think a lot of it does stem from the likes of Paul Pogba, I've said it before, um, whilst being a hugely talented footballer, I don't think um, he's what they need right now uh, in terms of his output. And then you got people like like Lingard as well, who you know I said before he's not hating anyone, but I don't think it it sends out a great message. Uh, the way he kind of behaves on social media, you'd almost feel like a strong dressing room would sort out a lot of those issues. And then you got people like Rashford suddenly finding himself on two hundred and fifty thousand pound a week again. You know, it doesn't feel like United are in a great position, and I think it's going to take them, you know, two, three, four windows before they start to put some of those wrongs right. You think about the Wan-Bissaka signing and it, it's weird in a way because in the past when United would make, you know, a substantial signing, you th you'd think to yourself, oh, you'd have that dread that, oh dear, here you go again. Except when I think of Wan-Bissaka, who I personally like as a player, I think he's got a very high ceiling. I understand fully why he takes that move. Um, you know, it's a massive step for him pers personally in terms of um, financially challenging himself, making the leap to a big club. But his development concerns me because the track record of United in, in the last few seasons doesn't seem to suggest that they, A, have the patience to develop players properly. And as soon as things go south, um, there is no inclination to sort of persist. The The thing is always get rid, start again. Um, John, we've seen United give out messaging that they're changing their strategy. So it's not quick wins as was the case under Mourinho. You know, you just buy a load of big players and hope they solve problems. Uh, they're targeting young players as we've seen with some of their, their purchases already and, and who they're linked with. Um, but do you think, like Ian mentioned, you know, they've got a, a manager in charge in Solskjaer who has no evidence of being able to instill a long-term vision? Do you think that no matter how much they restructure in terms of transfers, that beyond that, the, the foundations at United are, are an issue? Yeah, definitely. Um, 
look, we heard all about this, you know, new director of football and things like that. Where, where is he or she? Do you know what I mean? Where, where is that individual who's going to come in, who's going to set the direction? If you like, it seems to me that it might be a new direction, but it's being set by the same people who've who've made all the mistakes sort of last two or three years. So I was expecting more from United this summer off the pitch. Than, than we've had it just seems to be to be the same old people making you know slightly kind of different decisions and and so I think United fans will be a little bit worried and you know you know apparently Rio Fernand's been having meetings and things like that but it doesn't seem to be any further towards you know a, a job offer so whether they're just kind of mining for advice and and carrying on as they were I don't know but yeah it, it does it feels just it just generally feels like on and off the pitch there's so much to do at Man United that I think that's why the Wampasaka signing comes with a, you know, what you talk about is that as you as you say in normal circumstances you'd be like, oh, they've got a really good player there. Whereas now you think, well, I can't think of a team in the world where a right back's transformed their fortunes. Do you know what I mean? I know full backs are important, and I think he's a good player, but it's not like oh, we've got a great right back. We're away now. You know what I mean? It's it's not really going to happen. And I think you're right to say that, you know. There's, there's pressure on him now as well, where, which he didn't necessarily have at Palace. You know, he was he was the young lad. He came in, he came out of nowhere, really, didn't he? Got his got his chance through injuries, and and I'm really impressed and kind of never looked back. But is he going to Man United as a as a young player who will develop into a top class player, or is he going as one of their record signings? And because he's both, isn't he? And which one will the Will the supporters see him as? Which one will the kind of manager see him as? Really, and and how will he be seen if he does make a slightly rocky start? Or, you know, is is you know, is he going to be looking around for leadership in the dressing room and not kind of find it and find that everyone's looking at him because we've just paid over fifty million quid for him? It's a it's a funny situation he finds himself in, and I'm sure he backs himself. He seems a very confident young boy, but that confidence can go quickly and. You know, you, I remember with Luke Shaw when they bought him, and, mm. and thinking they've sorted that left back position for the next ten years. Yeah. What a buy! You know, <laughs> I mean, he's, he was, you know, and then you look what kind of happened to Luke Shaw, and that was pressure of a big club, pressure of a price tag, pressure of expectations being we've paid that much for you, we want the finished article, and him not being that. And so, yeah, the more you think about it, the more it's not quite the kind of slam dunk signing that um, that maybe it seems. I remember when the world was ending because they signed Memphis to play and <laughs> Liverpool didn't get him and United were just going to win everything because they made one signing. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Fun yeah. times. Yeah. <laughs> um, Chloe, what what do you make of, of all the clubs below Liverpool? Is there anyone in particular? Like I said, you know, I think Tottenham would be the one that everyone looks at and thinks they are best placed to sort of close that gap slightly um, it would still take a lot I don't think you know refreshing the squad with one player uh, makes a big difference but is there anyone else that sort of you think would be doing major stuff on the pitch this season um, to be fair I mean I think Liverpool and City will be first and second and it's easy and it's a fight for who gets top four out of the top six but for me I think I always say I'm scared of United and, and the likes of Chelsea who have money. But right now, I, I think to myself, it's it's what you do with that money. Like you, you could buy like a Paul Pogba and he can be so disappointing to you and cause so much uproar in a club and in the squad that it brings you down a whole, a whole different level. And I think right now, I think Tottenham, if the buying... And Dembele, is it? I think it, that would be the only main 
transfer that they do because they don't have the funds to to, to sign another major player and and one attacking forward isn't going to change your whole squad to come on a level of Liverpool. You know, we've built this for seasons upon seasons. Now we look at our squad and think, think you know, we've got this brilliant foundation where other teams are trying to, you know, make their team so much better by buying a first-class player. We're looking for reinforcements for, oh, if, you know, Firmino's a bit too tired because the work ethic he puts in you know we can put someone else in there or you know we can sign Divock Origi to a new contract and then that position's covered and we can look elsewhere like left back I think compared to all other teams we're looking for reinforcements more than we're looking for game changers and for me to see how far Liverpool have come from when we had the likes of Ricky Lambert it is it's unbelievable because we were screaming out for top class players then and now I'm all relaxed and sat back and thinking, I mean, we need a right back, but as cover for Trent, or maybe a challenge for Trent, not as Trent's getting out that team and a right back's going straight in. Um, and I think even if we do buy someone, it'll take them a couple of months to get into the Premier League because it's the world's best league. It's it, it's hard to transition. So for me, no one comes close to City and Liverpool. It's a fight for top four. And I think with Chelsea's transfer ban, they'll have a problem, but I don't think they're the worst squad. I think I think probably Arsenal look the weakest to me, especially defensively. And if they haven't got the financial funds to improve their whole squad, then I, I think they're most at risk of missing out of top four. You've made a good point there in terms of, you know, in, in the past you'd be scared by teams that had money because it was just everything was dictated by who spent the most whereas in this league at the moment you you can't particularly outspend Manchester City if Manchester City want to spend more than you they will they can Um, and it's not only in terms of what you can throw on a player or how much wages you can convince him you know to to choose you as your destination Um, We've seen, and all the things we've spoken about so far, is structural issues at at clubs. And I think when we talk about... I've seen the term a lot, um, standing still. Liverpool are standing still this summer because they haven't made a big signing or because they're expected to have quite a minimal window. But we're also saying that even if United buy four or five players we're saying the same of of Arsenal really if they buy three or four players do we expect much to change by virtue of who they've signed or do we still think there's other issues like Arsenal have uh, commercial they're not bringing enough money in commercially which then affects how much they can you know pour into their squad for example those things unless they get remedied it's very hard to close the gap on the top two um, and Josh for you when you're looking at structure and and things to clubs can put in place Liverpool obviously part of the reason they close the gap on Manchester City is because they sign Virgil van Dijk then Alisson and then Fabinho so we can't pretend that making quality pedigreed signings don't help but all those three players Liverpool pursued and persisted with for a long time even when it was very difficult to get those deals over the line beyond Fabinho which was you know quite a quick 
seamless sort of process. Um, but the reason they also catch Man City is because they spend time on throw-ins. They go through a variety of set-piece routines, never repeating it. All those kind of things that I think, you know, we don't particularly notice when we think about how clubs can improve. We only look at the signings. Yeah, I think if you look at the, the structure of those clubs in the top six, then it's hard not to think that Liverpool are almost in, in even ruder health than, than Manchester City. I remember talking on shows last summer when, when the throwing coach was appointed and it, it seemed to me like a, like at the time it was a decision which would... It was Liverpool trying to cover small margins and I think you can only get to that stage when, when you're already in a position of, of, of great strength and I think Liverpool were... I think that was what it would take to close the gap on Manchester City would be to find them small margins because, you know, we've, we've seen from, from Pep Guardiola's managerial career that he is a manager who, who believes in them small margins decisions as well. But I think Chloe hit the nail on the head before when she said about, you know, that other clubs need game changes, whereas Liverpool just need reinforcements. It, it, Liverpool's structure feels like something which has been, well, we know it's something which has been worked on over time since, since FSG came in. Liverpool have been you know, gradually moving towards what we see now, whereas the other clubs, you know, you talk about Arsenal and, and the way they're not bringing in much income sort of in, in, from a marketing perspective and things like that, because for, for so much time, it feels like Arsenal have been either standing still or slightly regressing when they were just sticking with Wenger for years. It didn't feel like they wanted to move forward as a club. So it feels like now they've, they've got to make that next step. Chelsea obviously have the ban, which is going to be hanging over them. United, I've, I've seen so much on, on Twitter over the last few weeks from their fans about how they're sort of mobilising now for a protest against the Glazers and, and that's been an issue which has been hanging over them for years. The Glazers have taken money out of the club and then obviously City have got their financial fair play thing to deal with and even Tottenham, there's questions about Daniel Levy and, and how he handles negotiations, questions over how they're paying for the stadium. So if, you, if you're talking about the structure of the clubs, you know, I'm not necessarily saying that Liverpool will, will pit Manchester City to the title this season. I think it'll be very close once again, but Liverpool are, are in a position now where the other clubs will be looking at them and saying, how, how do we do things more like Liverpool, which, which is a fantastic position to be in. And Liverpool this season, this summer, sorry, could work on you know covering more of them small margins as it did last summer. And then maybe that's the way that we do pit Manchester City. Ian, um, one of the, the really interesting things, you know, just on that point about finding the small margins and, and trying to maximise them, is we speak about the set pieces and I found it quite interesting to see City advertising for a set piece analyst position something i'd actually I, I don't even think that you know i didn't know that there were people specializing specifically in set pieces in terms of analysis and um i saw the reaction from a few in in the stats community thinking whoa uh yeah they were rattled last season <laughs> by liverpool gaining that advantage um so they're going all out but in terms of of city i think the way we talk about them in in terms of a Liverpool fan base is quite interesting because obviously, firstly, they are the team to be. You mm. Everything you do you, has to be conditioned by how is this getting us closer to City or how is this empowering us to be sort of better than them. And yet when you listen to stuff coming out of Manchester City and when you see the evidence like them, um, you know, looking for a, a set-piece coach, they keep thinking to themselves, we cannot afford to let Liverpool get close to us. So as much as there is that reverence or that sort of fear from a Liverpool end to City, there is, it's vice versa. 
No, it absolutely is. And I think Josh's point there around marginal gains is becoming more and more prevalent in the game. Everyone's looking for that little bit of an edge. Um, and City won't be any different. You know, forget the fact that they just won the three domestic trophies. No, they want to go again. And I think, no, I always hope that as far as City are concerned, that maybe one or two players just take the foot off a little bit. You know, there's a lot of lads that have won a lot of trophies and can you keep that desire going? But what always then pops into my head is is that Guardiola is probably the most driven manager I've ever seen alongside Jürgen Klopp. He's unreal in terms of that drive, the demands he puts on his players. You know, everyone speaks about Guardiola and they all talk about how intense he is. So you don't ever see him letting up, uh, which is a little bit of a concern. Um, I think, you know, Mauricio Pochettino gives an interview to a Spanish broadcaster over the weekend and he's casting very envious and admiring glances over to Liverpool Man City and just says, I'd like to be in their position where they they seem to have total control of the fo- over the football club. What they say goes. They have the final say. And he's quite honest and frank and says, you know, I don't get the final say on transfers. It's much more of a, a kind of, you know, committee approach. Um, and that must be tough. You know, I think... Spurs are always going to fall short of bridging that gap. They've got one of the finest managers probably in world football, but I don't think that gets them to where Man City and Liverpool are for the for the reasons I've mentioned. Um, so it's dead interesting. I mean, on your point around standing still, Mel, I, I, I get the fact that we are a, a tremendous, superb team to have delivered 97 points in the European Cup. I get that. And I understand all the things around what it takes to play for this Liverpool team and how long it takes to adjust and, and all the work that goes into finding the right players, the right characters, the right mentality to play for this team. But that said, I, I still hope Liverpool do do some business because I think, you know, there's no doubt about it, Man City to win three trophies domestically. It's been glossed over a little bit because what Liverpool go and do in the European Cup final, but they are still the team to beat. And I think to, to kind of give us the best possible chance... And it's important that Liverpool do try and, and invest smartly where they can. Um, what worries me, I think, is the fact that maybe we've got three of our better players playing across the summer again. And that could look like two years' worth of football if we're asking them to go again for the next nine months. Um, so that's the area where, where it concerns me a little bit. And there's one or two other areas, maybe midfield, maybe left-back cover for Andy Robbo. But I certainly think, yes, there's lots in the fact that the team will evolve naturally and, and maybe just be better because Dabby Keita's going to get, hopefully, a pre-season behind them. Um, Oxlade-Chamberlain's back fit. So I think there's reasons to think Liverpool will just evolve and get better anyway another year under, under this manager. But actually, I think sometimes you have got to go and try and just bring in better players or players that are equal to what you've got. You know, the game hasn't changed that much. It's always been about great footballers, whether it's the 80s, the 90s, and whether it's now, it's about reinforcing from a position of strength. So whilst I don't think there's loads of work for Liverpool to do, I'd be slightly disappointed if we're not adding maybe one or two real key bits of business. Who would everyone like, actually? That's Or, or what areas? You've mentioned a few areas there, Ian, that you'd like to see business in. I just wanted to get everyone else's opinions on on where you'd like to see Liverpool strengthen and what that strength looks like in terms of is it somebody to cover or do you expect to see somebody there that's challenging or you can go first Josh. I think I'd probably like to see someone come in who who is in a similar mould to Nabil Fekir because I think that's the one sign that Liverpool have missed out on in, in the last few years. It's probably a position that you look at the first half of last season that we that we may be lacking in as well. We may be missing Philip Coutinho to some extent there or, or a player in, in that kind of mould. So I think that would be 
the one position I'd say Liverpool are, are missing as such right now. I think Andy Robertson is in, you know, Ian mentions there that Liverpool could be looking for cover for him. I think, you know, we're in such a position of strength to have a player like Andy Robertson who, you know, appears to be, you know, in such great shape. He doesn't appear to get many injuries, you know, touch wood. I think he gives you the opportunity to bring through someone like Adam Lewis from the academy and, and, and give him some game time next season. And I know Adam Lewis is, is a fantastic and versatile player as well, someone who Jurgen Klopp, I'm, I'm sure, would love to be to be working with on a more regular basis. So I think just in terms of taking Liverpool onto that next level and, and maybe giving them something they've not got so much of right now, it would be a player in, in that kind of mould. Who that who that name is, I'm not quite sure. Hakim Zayat should be nice. <laughs> John? Yeah, probably a bit further up the pitch in terms of you know attacking talents. I'm, I'm, again, I'm not quite sure who, who that person is, but I think someone who you know, like like Ian says, you know, they, they've got to think about the likes of Manny and Salah. Salah's going to go deep into this competition now. Uh, they'll, they'll probably get to the to the final, I would imagine, Egypt. And so, you know, do you want to be saying to him, "Well, just 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 have a month off"? You know what I mean? He's going to be. You think about how much football he's, he's played and how much he's had off. It's not much, so. So a, f- a sort of forward player who I'd feel confidence that and on that first game of the season, and that doesn't. Are you necessarily- not? Uh, would you not be confident? Say if Salah did go really far and they gave him time off on the fir- in the first game of the season, would you not be confident if it was Divock, for example, starting or? No, maybe, but then I just I just feel like you know people say we've lost storage, but we've sort of lost Solanke as well really and because Solanke went in January didn't he and so you're thinking well there's, there's, we're sort of two forward players down from where we were this time sort of last season and I think I, I think you know although they do I wouldn't say they both need replacing because we're hoping me and Brewster will replace one of them I, I, I still think there's a gap there and I think Divock He's done really well, obviously, but he but he still looks a little bit out of place to me when he starts. He still looks like he's not quite doing what the other guys are. He still feels like he's he's you know we're having to change how we play a little bit, kind of when he's there, really. And and so I'd I'd prefer if it if we had an addition to that personally. I think the the problem with Divock is for me, I don't want him on the wings. I'd rather have him up top, um, because he just doesn't offer or supply the, the the same as Mane and Salah you know you can get in behind with pace but when you when you see him on the wing you feel to yourself that he is out of position and that the only real thing you can do is and he's done it quite a lot actually is he cuts inside and has a shot and to be fair you know we have seen the likes of Salah do that especially against Chelsea when he when he scored that amazing goal but for me Divock Origi is more of the the type of player who He's 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 tall, you know. He he can play up top. He can hold the ball up, and then he can get our wide attacking players in behind. I feel like he's more of a central striker than he than he is a winger. And for me, because we're fighting against such a top side in City, and it's such a tough league, you can't just have a, a striker playing out on the wing. Um, you, you you have to buy reinforcements so that when Salah and Mane are tired or if they get a knock, you can have someone who can do the same job or a similar type of job and offer a similar style of play. Because for me, Divock Origi just doesn't work out on the wing as best as he does up the middle. I don't think anyone's saying any of this is easy, by the way, either. I think it's really difficult to go and buy players for Liverpool. I think, you know, to bring in a lad who could do 
what Sadio Mane does, for instance, is dead hard because Sadio Mane is brilliant. He's one of the best in the world. So there's not just an obvious standout lad knocking about. You can go, well, we'll go and have him. Um, and he can't always just throw money at it either because if you look at United's record signings or some of their biggest buys, your Lukaku's, your Pogba's, your Fred's, you wouldn't really say any of them have added. Di Maria, Di Maria another Don one. Cal. You wouldn't. You wouldn't say any of them have really added. Anything to United, all right. Lukaku's had little little spells where he's looked okay. Pogba the same, but no consistency there. So I don't think it's I don't think it's an easy thing. Um, and obviously, you know, a lot of Liverpool's business it always feels like it's eighteen months, two years in the planning potentially. But that said, no, John's point there about Divic, um, he'll go down as a hero with this football club. He's written himself into the history of the club. There's no doubt about it. But if you talk about is he anywhere near the quality and the class of the, the three that we tend to go with? He, he's not. Uh, he's an alternative. Um, but the drop-off for me is still still too much. And I, I'd say the same about, you know, Shaqiri as well. If you try to shoehorn him into a, into a front three position, you know, Adam Lallana can't do that job anymore. Um, I think there's, there's people like Adam Lallana who the manager clearly rates a lot more than, say, some of the fans. But there's an obvious one for me where I thought you could maybe move a Lallana on and bring somebody else in to add more quality and depth to the squad. And it's not necessarily about Adam Lallana's ability, because I think there's a, there's a great footballer in there. He's proved it over his Liverpool time. It's about his availability. And I think you can look at that in one or two other areas of the pitch as well. You know, we've undoubtedly got four of the best centre-halves you're going to have, really. You know, you can't really argue uh, about Joe Matip and, and Lovren being your third and fourth choice. You know, you can talk about, are they always consistent? In Dejan's case, not so much. But as a fourth choice, you're not going to get much better than that. But it's about their availability. Sometimes some of our centre-halves just aren't fit and aren't available to play. So that's another area where you think, well, could they do a little bit of business? Um, so... I think it's okay to challenge these things. As as fans, we should be having these type of conversations. It doesn't mean you're whinging, it doesn't mean you're moaning. We're all still basking in a six European Cup. We're all made up to have this manager in charge. But why not question these things? Yeah. That's, what, that's what we do as fans. I think, I think that's a, absolutely fine. Yeah. I think that's a really important point because people always feel you have to be one or the other. You can be really confident in, in where Liverpool are as a football club and still think, hang on, we should be making, you know, two or three more like substantially kind of signings you could be quite uh, like you say you know still enthralled by the whole just won a sixth european cup and you can also be thinking but how do you then you know push city even further next year it nothing always has to be either one or the other you absolutely can, you can be everything i think the the issue that liverpool fans have is the I think full stones is the wrong way, but the times we haven't pushed on from strong positions and I think always in our, the back of our minds, if you like, is the season after 13, 14 and how it all went wrong. It's similar with 08, 09, you know, arguably in the Julie period as well where we were strong 2000 to 2002, have <coughs> two really good seasons and then, and then it falls away. Um, and so, although I think we're in a very, very different position now from all of those things, I mean, you know, there, there was ownership issues going on. There was, you know, all, all sorts of kind of seeding your best players. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so there's there's logical ways when you look at it to say, well, that won't happen. And and I think part of the problem, by the way, is with with why we fell away was buying the wrong players in those situations. So, and so that's a that's a kind of message as as well. But but I think you know we. I think because there's a little bit of it. Oh, we've been here before, and we've been so close. And then, and then the next season's been, been kind of you know a bit of a disaster. Then I think I think Liverpool fans are kind of naturally, I guess, a little bit kind of 
worried or a little bit kind of cautious and, and a little bit, you know, have these kind of doubts going into it. Um, it also doesn't really help when John Henry goes, oh, yeah, we're going to spend big again yeah. this summer. And I've, 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 yeah. I like how his second interview that he's yeah, doing, yeah. most recent interview doesn't say anything like He's picking up Adam Lallana now. <laughs> 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 I mean, he's he's learned his lesson a little bit there. I think there was probably, I mean, he was in Madrid. We would all had the bevy. <laughs> <laughs> so I think he was, uh, I think he actually came to the fan park sort of, didn't he? Yeah. I mean, I don't think he was, um, he was quite uh, jumping around with Jamie Webster, but he was kind of around, wasn't he? And so I think he was just, kind of get it all a bit excited which happens but but then that makes people think oh you know we're gonna have another kind of 100 million plus summer and then obviously that's been tempered slightly by kind of you know comments um since then but i think i think there's a little bit of that that, that kind of people kind of got excited and thought oh you know it's going to be another big summer i don't think it was ever necessarily going to be but as ian says you know one or two more in key areas you know good signings who who can really make a difference for us i'm sure everyone at the club has welcomed them yeah I think the main difference between us and City, like, I, th- I think we're both two class, world-class teams, if not the best two in Europe at the moment. I think the main problem is, is that they have so much squad depth compared, like, to us. I feel like, because they've spent 50 million on a right-back in Kyle Walker, and now this summer they're looking at buying Cancelo for 60 million, another right-back. It's like, it's so... It, it, shocking how much they spend to buy recruitments they're looking for 60 million for that Rodri for another midfielder you know you think they've got Silva they've got De Bruyne they've got Sané Sterling the attacking options that they have and the squad depth all over the pitch just it's it's hard to compete with and I think now that we we don't necessarily need to buy the world-class players for like our starting 11 we can try and keep up with their squad depth because we're not necessarily going out and saying we need a world-class striker, we need a world-class defender, we need another world-class goalkeeper, because we don't. We just need more recruitment and squad depth. So then, you know, we're in four competitions. We can rotate and still go far in all four competitions instead of getting knocked out in, like, the round of 16 of the FA Cup, like we do pretty much every season. <laughs> I think uh, one of the, the things to say about City is their recruitment this summer is based on succession planning so Fernandinho um, losing David Silva Carl Walker getting on in age and them actually I watched this um, video Pep's given an interview uh, to a Barcelona station and I think we've all seen the quotes where he speaks about Anfield and and what it can do to you Um, but there's times he's speaking about how difficult it is to win the league in England compared to when he was in Germany compared to when he was in Spain he references no one else except Liverpool saying I know Liverpool want to win the league and we saw how good Liverpool were this season so expect them to challenge no one other no one else in the top six gets a mention at all he speaks about attacking players and uh, he linked it to Messi and his decision to move messy centrally because fullbacks were starting to get so aggressive in their attacking that you needed to have your wide players be able to track them they couldn't just have freedom of movement um and then when he's speaking about attacking fullbacks and how they are so vital to a system now the only players he references are trent and robertson and I think part of them spending on fullbacks is their realization that we don't have 
the best in the league and I think for ev- like every sort of department their their defense is uh, they've got a great goalkeeper a good defense I think a defense that is so good because their attack is so good so they hardly have to yeah. do anything because city's overwhelming strength is is the other way um and i always find it we sometimes live in a bubble where you know we only see things from a liverpool point of view it's very good when you when you always step away from it and see what the other clubs are seeing uh, but at the same time in terms of squad depth i do, you know you, you can't not look at city and think it doesn't matter. They can change two, three players per game, four players. Five. The, the drop-off is, is not substantial at all. But at the same time, do you guys expect more from the squad players Liverpool do have? So, you know, you mentioned Shakiri before and you said mm, he's not, you know, you don't get as much from him when when he comes on. Do you expect more from him? Or And then is there also sort of a, an acceptance that, like you said, very, very difficult to get another Sadio Mane or Sadio Mane light or, or Mo Salah light. Uh, one example that always comes to mind is Julian Brandt. He didn't, this was even before Liverpool signed Mohamed Salah. He looked at Liverpool squad and thought, I'm not going to play and I need to be playing regularly at my age. So that's the other conundrum. I think there's got to be an acknowledgement from, from sort of all parties that. that this is all a work in progress. You know, Liverpool aren't aren't the destination they want to be. I'm sure if you ask Jurgen Klopp, if you ask John Henry, if you ask anyone who is who is high up in Liverpool Football Club, they, they tell you that Liverpool are, are still are still on a journey. I know people don't like the word, but Liverpool are still still a, a project at the moment, albeit you know a, a very good one here in a in a position of strength. But you know, I was I was talking about structures before, and it's interesting you, you touched on the Guardiola and the fullbacks thing because. Liverpool are in a position now where I almost feel like the summer Liverpool can afford to just, you know, like like a boxer really on a fight, just sort of feel their way into the window almost. And Ian mentioned before as well about how sometimes Liverpool signings feel like they're, you know, 18 months, two years in planning. I don't think that Liverpool really have to jump to make a move this summer as such. Whereas with Manchester City, they've obviously got the, the succession planning to deal with. Liverpool don't really have that. There's no, you know, maybe James Milner's the only one who you're looking at whose contract expires next summer and you're thinking there's someone we might need to bring in for him. But then obviously today, you know, we've, we've let Marco Grealish go back on loan to her to Berlin. He might be the player who Klopp's looking to in, 20, in 2021 and thinking he'll be, he'll be the one who comes in and replaces James Milner. Whereas City have got, you know, a lot of players who are aging, they're almost coming towards the end of the cycle of, of this squad they've built and you wonder if in you know one or two years time City will almost have to start that process again maybe they're they're slowly being able to phase players in now but they're not going to be able to sign everyone on the promise of you know a year or two down the line you're going to get game time you there's going to be a lot of lads who are, who are sat on the bench there sort of kicking their heels you're seeing it with Riyad Mahrez this season obviously he gets to make a telling contribution in the end but I imagine for the most part he'll probably be slightly frustrated with his game time probably Sané, uh, the other thing when we speak about their squad depth I think we always imagine that everyone is happy there 
and that's not the and, case. Yeah, and Sane, Sane is an example, not. Yeah. yeah, and and you know if 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 they do move Sane on this summer, then you'd imagine Mares gets a bit more. But I I imagine there'd have been City fans last season who wanted to see more of Mares. They probably wanted to see more of more of Sane as well. There's probably a few players in that squad who they were thinking you'd like to see a bit more game time for them. It's it's interesting that you know the, the, the players that City have been linked with they've not really been linked with many left backs. I know Alexandro was a name who came up quite early on, but they've offered Zinchenko a new five year deal. And if, if you're talking about how important the fullbacks are to, to to team systems now, and if City want to kick on in terms of strengthening their fullback areas, that left back's not something that that they're going heavy on. Maybe they're almost being as cautious as, as Liverpool are around these things, if cautious is the right word, and and they're looking into it a bit more than than maybe they would have done in the past, where they might have just thrown a lot of money at Alexandro and thought, you know what, he's he's a great player, surely he'll strengthen this position. Then maybe looking for someone who's a bit more suited and. For the meantime, they're happy to stick with a player like Zinchenko and and just see how that goes for another season. But it, it all comes back to the fact that I just think Liverpool are in, are in such a great position now to to kick on from where they are. There's there's no real issues you can you can see coming up in in, in the next year or so, unless of course you know Salah leaves next summer, as as has been talked about in in some corners this summer. Uh, but then you, you almost cross that bridge when you come to it. I think I think Liverpool are in a position where they, where they can do that, whereas the other clubs around us and, and and that includes City as well. It feels like they've they've got a few things to be dealing with this summer. That the the Salah thing uh, is Ian. If if Liverpool lost one of their front three next summer, right? Hypothetically speaking, would you be uh, concerned about how they would? replace that position or have you seen enough to think hang on none of those front three were world-class when when Liverpool brought them in in fact no one else a bit Barspers for Mane no one else were really interested in in those players um and does the Coutinho sale and and what happens where Liverpool sell uh, there's been revisionism I think with Coutinho people Suddenly, he's the shit player, and or he did, Liverpool didn't really need him. He, when he was at Liverpool, he was fundamental to mm-hmm. Liverpool. He was the best player, pretty much for largely the five seasons he was here. You know, the Suarez was here for a period and stuff. Um, but would you be more calm now about a situation like that if it were to materialize in future? Possibly. I mean, I've got huge faith in the football manager so I think you know I'd like to think there's a level of succession planning going on I'm sure there is where they're thinking about you know what happens to Mohamed Salah in 12 months time you know is it is it realistic to think he'll he'll stay here for another two, three, four years? Would you even want him to? You know, he would probably wouldn't want Mo knocking about when he's thirty one, for instance. You know, maybe his, his best assets will have started to dwindle a little bit in terms of his pace and stuff. Um I certainly wouldn't want to see him leave in the next two years. But I think what you get from this football club now, you do see uh, a, a lot of planning. You do see them kind of forward thinking. Uh, there's a strategy there, a clear one. There's clear thinking um, from the people in charge of the club. So I'm not, I'm not quite as worried about that. And there's a. Oh, there's something around, you know, why would you want to leave? You know, Liverpool, mm. we're talking about the Premier League here in, in this show, but Liverpool and Man City are arguably the two best teams in Europe as well. I mean, there's no reason why they wouldn't be contesting next year's European Cup final if they don't meet each other along the way. They are clearly two of the, of the best sides in Europe, no doubt in my mind. Um, if you look at what the other European clubs have got to do, they're all in a period of the transition, really. They're all having to go out and spend big money and invest and then try and hope that those players gel. Um, and that, you know, actually you buy Munich, you Real Madrid, you Barcelona. So Liverpool are in a, a really, really good place here. And that's what I think 
I'll give us point before. You know, we've seen a few false dawns. So you just you're hoping that they capitalise on this position of strength because not only the Premier League is there for them potentially, uh, but another European Cup is not out of the question as well. You know, I see a scenario where Liverpool are going to go deep again in Europe. We've got so many competitions next season that I think it's just really, really important that we just keep picking up trophies, regardless of what they are. So, yes, the FA Cup's been diluted. We know it has. The League Cup as well. But there's something in... If you want to create a legacy, you just got to win stuff and just keep winning stuff. Just keep winning those big silver things. doesn't really matter what they are now. Yes, the European Cup and the League are the absolute priority. But if you keep winning stuff, that just keeps you ticking along nicely. You know, Mourinho would always talk about it. Just win League Cups and you kick on from there. Win an FA Cup, you kick on from there. So whilst I really want to see us make us another big assault on the league... I'd be really delighted to see us just picking up some some trophies whilst going deep in the league and whilst going deep in the European Cup as well. Ian just got me really excited thinking about another European Cup there. As soon as you said that, I was like, yeah, maybe we will win another one next year. Fan park, lad, isn't it? Well, my fee's going up now. So, yeah, I'm dear now. No, I think... I think Ian's right, and I think giving ourselves the best opportunity to, to challenge for everything, I think now has to be the key. I think, you know, we all accepted last year that the cup draws were were, were tricky and that uh, in both games we went out to the odd goal in three which can happen when you play a, a good team but I think next year I'd like to see a situation where you know even if we are resting players that the teams are much stronger um, or, or much more kind of you know feel, feel ready for for, the, for for what they what they get and 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 this idea that you know, the, we can, we can challenge on every possible front, so then, and then you give yourself just more opportunities, don't you? And I think a, a, a stronger squad will do that, and I think just just generally kind of more experience of winning will do that as well. And so the hope is that, that they've got a taste for it now. Jordan's got one tattoo; he wants yeah. a, he wants a few more um, on there as well. A nice nice little uh, Premier League trophy on the other leg, maybe yeah, it won't look too bad. Maybe that, hopefully that's what he's thinking. But you know, they, they should all be thinking that they should all be thinking now. I've won a European Cup for Liverpool, but what else can I do? Because you know the. We talk about the 05 team and the lads still go on tour, don't they? And it's great that Vladimir Schmitz has got a yeah. job from it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's brilliant. But, you know, the real legends of this football club won, won a lot. Do yeah. you know what I mean? You know, I mean, Phil Neal will, will tell you exactly what he won and, and it takes a while for him to say it. And I think that's what these boys need to be thinking about now. You know, maybe not quite Phil Neal standards, but I went to Liverpool and I won this and then we won this and then mm. we won this. And, and that's the kind of, you know, the... the the real way you kind of you, you get immortality if you like at, at this kind of football club and that's what they should be aiming for because they're good enough and they are good enough you know they're, they're not far away at all there's some exceptional players you know we, you know we were playing teams last season and the managers were saying like there's no weaknesses in this Liverpool team and they weren't just saying that because you know they wanted to butter us up they were almost like warning their fans like these are great you know like don't expect too much today if we get something they're brilliant but there aren't there aren't any weaknesses in in this team um there's a few in the squad and if we can sort that out then great but i i think the manager is relaxed and i think that's sort of what you 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 got at mel at the, at the top really is that the, the, the manager you know he's not going to be going out and thinking we'll just get anyone in you know the, they'll be the players they want to be the players they've identified a long time ago 
that they'll be keeping an eye on, they'll be monitoring. I think this might be one of those windows generally where there's a bit of a flurry of activity towards the end. I think at the moment everyone's a bit unsure of value, a bit unsure of what's going on. Ian's right to point out that there's two international tournaments going on at the moment. Yeah. I think if one of them was the European Championships, everyone would be a bit more relaxed. But because they're a bit, they're a bit far away, like we all kind of you know forget about them a little bit. But there's... There's two international tournaments kind of going on as uh, as well, which kind of you know holds things up a, a little bit, and it only needs one transfer to a be held of, up where there's a domino yeah, effect. A lot of big players with futures unresolved as well, which then puts like a pause on everything mm. because you have two or three clubs all thinking we can we can be in a sh- you know with a shout for that player. Um, Spurs will be an example by the way waiting to see what happens with Christian Eriksen and that you know might only be solved quite late in the window and Christian Eriksen himself who he wants Real Madrid to sign and Real Madrid might think actually gonna go for Paul Pogba sorry mate so everything like (laughs) maybe next year seems so up in the air still and yeah I think towards you know the end of July you'll start to see things fall and, and take shape a lot um quicker to end off what's everyone expecting for pre-season or what do you sort of want to see hoping to see and obviously Anfield drop on tour as well <laughs> <laughs> yeah we are going over to America I I really enjoyed pre-season last year I enjoyed the positivity obviously there was the early stuff around Carius which wasn't great at all but by the time they got to America we were really you know Cooking, where we were playing so well, we were we were bat- we were battered. Man United really took them apart, and they looked a mess, didn't they? You know the whole, you know the the whole thing just just didn't look great. Marino looked like he had a cut. Co- well, he did have a cup on. <laughs> you know, he said it, um, and 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 we just looked like in a really good place. And I remember talking to Andy Mitten, who's and congratulations to Andy on his amazing kind of bike ride, uh, by the way. Um, but Andy Mitten's obviously the, the, the sort of chief editor of United We Stand, and and, and we I was talking to him kind of after the game and he was like yeah yous look great and we're just a shambles and, and I want kind of more of that really more of people looking at Liverpool and going they're, you know, they're going to be really on it again this season they're not going anywhere they, they look sharp they look focused they look like they're enjoying themselves because I think this Liverpool team's at its best as well when it's relaxed when it's happy when it's enjoying playing with each other and enjoying playing for Liverpool and so I want to see a lot of that this summer and uh, hopefully a little bit from Ian Brewster as well which will calm everyone down I want to see the spirits high as well. You know, you mentioned there, Gibbo, that last summer that the spirits were high and you think off the back of a European Cup win with those players who, you know, particularly for Jordan Henderson and players like that who maybe had, had a bit of criticism in the past, Asia and Lovren as well, I'd, I'd put into that category. It's, it's maybe a bit of a, a weight off their shoulders as well. They can go into this pre-season knowing that, you know, there's expectation on them to win a trophy, but they've got that first one out of the way for, for lads like Curtis Jones and Rian Bruce. You know, you mentioned before, Gibbo, about the lads who want to win another trophy. They must be looking at that. And from being around the squad last season, you know, Curtis Jones involved in, in the celebrations for the semi-final against Barca and, and the final, Rian Brewster obviously gets his medal in the end but doesn't even play a game they must be looking at and thinking we really want to be a part of of something special here so I think that one of the main things I'd be looking for you know obviously heading out to America with the lads as well which I'm really looking forward to uh, it's just yeah the 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 vibes being good posy vibes is what is what I want from the lads (laughs) out there. Um, To be fair I'm I'm this centre-back pairing, which is, we've had, you know, Van Dijk as the sole player, but I'm actually quite enticed to see who our number one is, because I always think it's Joe Gomez, but, like, how do you tell Joel Matip, 
you had an absolutely brilliant season, well, the, the tail end of the season, but you're not playing. It's You'll be second after Joe Gomez. I, I, th- I think finding out that perfect centre-back pairing, it, it'll be brilliant because the amount of times we had to change our centre-backs because of not just, like you know, illnesses with uh, Dejan Lovren and then injuries, Joe Gomez. I, 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 de- I, I don't want to see Joe Gomez covering right back at Trent that is one thing I don't want to see because I, I just it's it's not his position if you want to tell Joe Matter Paul he will do it for you <laughs> <laughs> no danger he has, he has sacked people <laughs> <laughs> he'll do it for you no danger yeah I just I'm, I'm, I'm quite excited to like I, I say it because if Joe Matter was playing instead of Joe Gomez I'd still feel confident but for me Joe Gomez has got to be number one and he's so young he can progress so well but I with Klopp, you just never know. One game he might play Dej, and the next he might play Matip. And I, I, I'm just really excited to see all of the development, and you know, the how we can keep the momentum from last year, yeah, to 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 this year, and and see how far we can get with the belief because we've got even more belief than we had last season. Ian, anything in particular for you? Yeah, I mean, I've I've enjoyed having like kind of the last three or four weeks uh, off, really. But it feels like lucky you. Well, <laughs> but took it out, lad. Yeah, a little bit, mate. Yeah, <laughs> but it feels like now it's 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 time to see the boys again. So I'm looking forward to to pre-season. I think the point about Ryan Brewster is really interesting because it's hard to think of another lad, probably Fowler Owen who's been spoken about in such glowing terms as Brewster. And I've not really seen a lot of them. I know Gibbo's seen probably more than most in the room, but I've not really seen any of them. And all the things you hear um, lead you to think that he could be one hell of a talent. Obviously, he's had the big injury, so you don't know how he's going to recover from that. Um, but he's one, you think, you know, we could have another gem on our hands, potentially. It'd be nice to see Chamberlain back as well. I think we've, we've really missed him. Um, and whilst I'm loving his social media game, it'd be nice to see him on the pitch as well because I think he's a again he's another he's another wonderful talent who, who adds loads to this squad. Uh, we're a better team for him. Um, he's been on for such a long time, so so they'd be the two players. Um, but it's just get to, it's just good to be back again. Isn't it? So I think we started Tramia. Neil said something recently where you know, Liverpool seemed to be really well ahead of the game in terms of planning pre-season. I was surprised to hear only a week or two ago that other teams only had kind of three, four, five fixtures penciled in and we've got kind of you know double figures I think around pre-season so um, there's a lot of thought gone into it but yeah I'm ready for it to start now. If you're not watching the video of this Ian is wearing uh, a Madrid t-shirt and I think what I'm most looking forward to in pre-season is seeing all those players come back wearing the we've won the European Cup on their faces. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's going to be a lot a lot of swagger. Uh, that we can look forward to. That has been the Anfield Wrap. Hope you've enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. Sports Social Podcast Network.